This is the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, episode 169. Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Weekly motivation and language learning tips to help you become fluent in any language. Now, here's your host, Ollie Richards. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Today, we've got something very special. It's a longer episode than usual, but it's one that I've been looking forward to bringing you for a very, very long time. Now, I want to start with a question. What is one thing that you've wanted to learn for a long time? Whether it's a new skill, whether it's a course you want to do, a new subject you want to learn about. We've all got that one thing that we've been meaning to do or meaning to learn for for years, but we've never got round to it. So what is that thing for you? Is it learning to cook Japanese food? Is it uh, learning to make toys for your child? Is it maybe doing a master's degree or an MBA? What is that thing that you've been wanting to do for a long time that would change your life if you did it? I've got a long list of such things. And today we're going to be talking with someone who's going to show you how to do it faster than you ever thought possible. This conversation that you're about to hear really set my head spinning with ideas and just things that I want to that I want to do and I want to learn in my life that I've kind of put on the back burner in a way, I guess because I've been focusing so much on language learning. It was so inspirational for me and I hope you're going to get the same out of it. Before we get to that though, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, the wonderful italki, one of my favourite companies in the world. italki has a huge marketplace of teachers, language teachers, professional and informal. And if you'd like to get a free lesson, you can go to iwillteachyourlanguage.com forward slash free lesson. Now, without any further ado, let's get into today's show. I'm speaking today with Jonathan Levy. Jonathan is an extremely accomplished guy with a CV as long as my arm, so it's difficult to know where to begin. But he is a experienced entrepreneur, angel investor, life hacker extraordinaire. He has been one of the top performing instructors on the online course platform Udemy for some time now and he had a course which is no longer available but it's it was called become a super learner and he had over 60,000 students with that course and it's been phenomenally successful and he's gone on to release um best selling books he has a podcast called the the becoming superhuman podcast and he now does all kinds of things out of uh, Tel Aviv where he lives We have a wide-ranging conversation today that, as a language learner, you're going to love because this focuses on accelerated learning techniques and how you can use these to pick up new skills and improve your life in all kinds of different ways. Like I said, it had a, a huge impact on me, and that's exactly why I asked you that question earlier about what you want to improve in your life. So you're going to get lots of ideas and inspiration for how to do this. So let's dive in. I began by asking Jonathan to walk us through the path that led him to discovering these accelerated learning techniques? I struggled as a student. Uh, I was always kind of a problem child. I was sort of kind of diagnosed with ADD. My parents didn't want to actually send me in, but basically diagnosed with ADD by a kind of special education teacher when I was eight years old. And that was kind of the point when I realized, Dolly, that I was a little bit different and that, you know, other kids seem to get this stuff and I don't. And that kind of culminated or or led to me being pretty heavily medicated for most of my adolescent life, bouts with depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, 
just because I wasn't learning. And it, it wasn't just classroom learning. I mean, it was pretty depressing that other kids were getting good grades and I wasn't. But it was also learning around different social skills and learning around sports. And I never seemed to be able to learn as quickly as other people. And I thought that was odd because I knew I was a smart kid. People told me I was smart, but I didn't seem to be successful academically. And medication was great. And if anyone out there, you know, struggles with ADD the way that I did, medication in many ways saved my life, at least academically and professionally. But uh, I still would forget everything as soon as I left the exam room. And that all changed for me in 2011. I had uh, kind of packed up, gone to this venture capital firm, and I was doing an internship before starting my master's degree. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I suffered through my undergraduate degree. I went in as environmental economics. That was too hard. I didn't, you know, I was trying to also run a business on the side. So that was too time consuming, too much reading had to dumb it down. So then I went to anthropology. That was too hard. So I ended up changing my major three times because I couldn't get through the reading. And I ended up on sociology, which was kind of light reading and more writing than reading. And I was always an okay writer. Uh, and I knew this time I wasn't going to be able to do that. I was going for a master's in a specific subject. I wasn't going to be able to cop out in the middle and change my major if it was too hard. And it was a condensed program. So eight months to do two years of material. And as soon as I was admitted, they gave me 1,107 pages of reading. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do? And I got really lucky because at that time I met someone who was a speed reader and a memory expert. And he, it turns out he and his wife had developed these techniques for teaching children with learning disabilities. And it's a lot of the stuff that probably your audience knows. I mean, it's the basic speed reading stuff that, that you've probably heard a million times or maybe haven't heard at all, and mnemonic techniques. And I've always been a hacker. I've always been really interested. I mean, I've got photos from when I was 18 years old of me hooking myself up to metabolic machines and trying to figure out what my VO2 max is. And I've always been interested in that. And I tried speed reading a few different times and it never worked. I never absorbed anything. But opening up this whole world of mnemonic techniques was like magic to me. And suddenly I could remember things, I could read things, and I ended up going on to do this MBA and be able to just power through reading. So essentially, to make a, a somewhat uh, long story somewhat shorter, uh, I found myself making a career out of reteaching these skills, which I had been taught in Hebrew, translating them to English and finding a way that everyone could learn them, not just people who were able to afford expensive private tutoring okay yeah that well i mean there's so many questions i want to ask you just, <laughs> just stemming from that but i mean obviously um let me ask you this were you, as a kid were you aware of the challenges that you were facing like because sometimes when you're young mm -hmm. the, the problems that you face you don't necessarily understand what they are right so were you aware that at that time like hey i've got a learning problem or I've got ADD. Was, uh, to what extent yeah. were you aware of that, of what you were facing? Yes. So I knew, I kind of knew in first grade because I started getting report cards that my parents had to have serious conversations with. And I, I recently went back because, you know, we have this tendency, especially in, in the industry you and I are, to kind of look back at our biography and be like, oh, it all makes sense. But I went back <laughs> and said, did it all make sense? Like, it, or long about the time I did my, my TED talk, 
I wanted to really ask myself this question and I pulled it out and you know, first grade it was Jonathan needs to pay more attention. Jonathan needs to understand that being the class clown is not a way to get ahead. Jonathan needs to sit still. You know, Jonathan is, is falling behind the class and they just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And uh, so you knew so there was I, a problem. Oh, I knew. And, and yeah. also I had this tendency uh, where I'd have to go in and have, I remember the first thing that I fell behind was reading a clock, right? So in first grade, you learn how to read a non-digital clock. Uh, and I remember I just like couldn't get this. And I thought it was so bizarre. I was like, but it says 10, how is that 50 minutes? And I just like, I didn't get it. And, and I had this kind of tendency where I'd have to go in, someone would have to explain something to me. The next thing that was really hard for me was multiplication tables. And then I had in this moment, I don't know if you've ever had this, I don't know if normal people have this, but like when someone would explain it to me and it would click, I, I would almost like start laughing and crying because it'd just be like, oh, and then like my eyes would well up because it was like, oh my God, it took me so long to get to this point of understanding and just like overwhelmed with emotion at why couldn't I have just gotten this the first time? Why did I have mm -hmm. to ask all these questions and, and figure it out this way? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to relate that to my, my story. When I was pretty good at school. Um, I didn't have any particular, uh, my, academic, my, my grades were always good. Um, and I, I, I was always conscious that I, I was capable of doing this stuff, but I just, I was always going to resist. I, I was kind of resisting doing, putting the work in that I needed to. Like, if I knew I had an essay to, to hand in, I wouldn't start like two or three weeks before, like I should. I'd wait till the last evening. And I was always kind of like mm -hmm. questioning myself because I knew I was capable of it, but um, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And I see a lot of parallels between the Ollie who didn't do as well as he could have done in his history essays and the Ollie who, like these days, could be so much better at language learning if mm. he could just be strict enough with himself to say at 6 30 a.m you sit down and I you agree. study for an hour it's not hard that's what you do so mm -hmm. i see a lot of parallels with that um in, in many ways i guess i haven't changed but you have and you've you've kind of had this this realization that i guess many people never get to in their life and, you, and you've and you've 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 learned these techniques which um you could easily not have done like everything could have been very different, right? So, like, like in a nutshell, what, what we'll, we'll get into these specific things in in a minute. But how could you give us some like like visceral examples of things that you've been able to do in your life as a direct result of the of the the accelerated learning techniques that that you mentioned? Sure, sure. So one, uh, I go through ebbs and, and flows. And by the way, I want to comment that I also have that discipline problem. It's like I take on, because I am a professional learner, I think we're all professional learners, but I make a living by demonstrating how effectively I learn. I take on so much stuff. Do you ever find, like, kind of a, do you ever find like me, you spend more time actually talking about how to do it than actually doing it? It seems definitely. like an occupational hazard. Like. <laughs> definitely. I, it's definitely true. Um, and I tend to bite off a lot of learning projects and I used to beat myself up about it. So uh, at any given time right now, I'm learning Russian, improving Hebrew, maintaining Spanish, learning piano and guitar because one instrument isn't enough, you know, and I'm already 30 years behind all these child prodigies who play piano. Uh, acro yoga, Olympic weightlifting, aerial photography, copywriting, 
marketing funnels, advertising. I'm learning like a hundred different things at once. And I used to beat myself up about it because of exactly what you said. Like I should buckle down and, and talk the talk. And what I've realized is the more I learn, the more I'm able to learn. And that by harnessing exactly that ADD and by jumping from subject to subject, something that I learn in copywriting can, or that's maybe a bad example, but something that I learn in my fascination with Benjamin Franklin can dramatically alter the way I write copy. And something I learn in Olympic weightlifting can dramatically alter the way that I do acro yoga. And that uh, you kind of have to, you have to take advantage. A lot of the techniques that we teach are for taking advantage of that passion, right? And, and figuring out a way to be passionate about things that you maybe don't actually want to learn, right? And uh, I've learned that you just have to take advantage of that and roll with it. Uh, but so those are some of the things that I've been able to learn. I've been able to learn public speaking, which obviously I use pretty regularly. I've been able to learn I'll give you a classic example. October of 2013, I said to myself, I, I had figured out that this online learning thing was gonna be pretty successful. I'd taken some online courses myself. I was like, this is a really cool way to distribute knowledge and you know, it's a lot more uh, profitable than writing a book and it's a lot more engaging and I, I think this is gonna be big. So I decided I'm gonna build an online course. And I said to myself, okay, how does one build an online course? Well, I sat down, I opened 42 browser tabs, and over the course of two days, I knew how to build online courses. I knew how to record video, I knew how to edit video, I knew how to structure the content, I knew what was important. I knew a lot about how these ranking algorithms work on marketplace websites. And within three weeks of launching, we had one of the best-selling courses on Udemy. And within a few months of just doing the stuff that I'd learned over the course of a few days, we had one of the best selling courses of all time. And for those for people who don't know, Udemy is an online kind of course marketplace, right? Where you can go and right. learn pretty much anything. And mm -hmm. your course mm -hmm. went on to be taken by 60,000 students. Is that right? Up to today, 85,000. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So, I mean, I mean, it's interesting hearing you say all these things that you've been able to do because, you know, there's tons of stuff I want to do in my life, right? Mm -hmm. I couldn't mm -hmm. even begin to name those things. I'd like to learn how to make chocolate. Mm. I'd like to be, um, I don't know, I, <laughs> I often wake, I'd like to be able to illustrate children's books. That's something I thought would be super cool. Mm. Why don't I do that? And the reason is that I don't really have a framework for deciding on and learning that skill and taking the action required to do it. And I think it's because um, part of it is the discipline problem for me, but sure. also it's like not having the confidence necessarily that I would be able to learn that skill quite quickly. Oh, that's um, such a big thing. I want to yeah. jump in right there, actually, sure. because I just recorded a video about this. So one of the kind of beautiful things about, about what I do is I learn, right? And so I'm always improving. Like, we've had to redo our course numerous times, and we constantly improve. And over the last year or so, in kind of helping students and diagnosing their issue, I've come up with what I call the memory Pygmalion or memory Golem effect. So the Pygmalion effect, Golem effect are two sides of the same coin. I learned about this in that business school program I talked about, where if you're a manager and you believe that the employee is highly skilled, intelligent, capable, going to be successful, all things being equal, even if you hide your cards, everything, that employee will be more successful. However, the Golem effect, if you believe that the employee is dishonest, so on and so forth, you will actually make them dishonest. And there's a lot of debate about how this actually works, but it works. You know, people say, oh, well, your it's tone of voice or it's facial expression or it's, 
you know, subtle little communication cues, whatever it may be, you could call it law of attraction, you could call it energy, it actually works. What I've realized is the same is exactly true of ourselves. So one of the coolest things about these techniques, and I think it's very similar to what you do, Ollie, is I give students these tools and they use these tools and these tools are really powerful, but guess what? Even when they don't use these tools, their memory improves and they become better learners. Now, how can that be? Well, because they now go around in the world saying, I'm an exceptional learner. I have a phenomenal memory. I'll tell you a little secret. I use the actual mnemonic techniques that I teach about 40% of the time. And yet I remember nearly everything. So people give me an address. I don't even need to use mnemonic techniques. Of course, I could convert it and say that the 77 is a cake and create a memory palace. I don't even need to. I mean, if I memorize a credit card, I might do it, 16 digits. But if I'm memorizing five-digit numbers, I don't even need it. And it's simply because of this memory Pygmalion effect. And I think so many people go around saying, I suck at languages, I'm terrible at math, I, I'm a really slow reader. And, well, guess what? Like, that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Hmm. So I think the power of these tools is putting that tool in your back pocket so that you can say, yeah, if I want to go learn chocolate making, that's a one-day thing. I could go learn that. And... Yeah. When you do use the tools, you know. So let me let's dive into some specifics here because yeah, from what I heard, like the the two main things that you mentioned are memory improvements mm-hmm. or memory techniques and speed reading. Mm-hmm. How are those things? Could you give us some like? Could you take a, a maybe one of the the skills or activities that you've you've already mentioned, and then sure. give us an example of how both of those things, the speed reading and the memory techniques, um, could be used to help you learn that thing faster. Sure. So where I think a lot of courses go wrong and a lot of people have tried speed reading, myself included, and failed, is they forget to build the infrastructure up front. So if you're going to read an entire book in two and a half hours, you better have a pretty incredible way of storing that, right? And and storing it in kind of this auditory proce- language processing area of the brain is not going to work. You need to store it in the way that world memory champions store 56 decks of cards back to back, store one deck of cards in 26 seconds. And that's by the same tried and true mnemonic techniques that have been around for 2200 years with modification and adaptation. So it's visual memory, it's creating visual mnemonic techniques, and then it's the memory palace. And uh, if any of these things are foreign uh, to people, I I can go into kind of more depth, but it is basically creating these visual mnemonics. So when you pair that on top of speed reading, Uh, You're now able to read things very quickly, take a quick pause, generate these very vivid uh, markers and examples. So uh, you asked, and and then it's ultimately deconstructing knowledge into core principles that can be visualized. So, Okay, let's pause right there so I can just see if I summarize what you said. Um, So the speed reading, I guess it's fairly obvious. If you've got a body of knowledge, if you've got to learn stuff and you're learning that stuff from a book, you're going to read it faster if you can read quicker mm-hmm, 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 um, mm-hmm. stands to reason um the second part though is actually retaining what you exactly now when i was reading um when i was reading about your 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 various uh, courses and talks and things earlier on there was one phrase about everything that stood out to me you know what that was tell me retain things you read mm-hmm. now i guess what, different elements of this will stick with different people but for me personally you know, I get very excited when I read a book. I read slowly. I'm a slow reader. Um, you know, the, the idea of reading a book in two and a half hours is like, man, how would my life change if that was possible? 
Um, but, you know, I get very excited when I read a book. I've just been reading a great book called um, Deep Work by Cal Newport, which is mm-hmm. very well known at the moment. But in, you know what? As I'm reading that book, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this time tomorrow, I will have forgotten this stuff. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to enjoy it, get all excited, and then not retain it. So that's why this yeah. th- that particular phrase, retain the things you read, really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about the significance of that and yeah. how you go about doing that? Well, so let me... I'll backpedal a little bit and, and talk just a little bit of light neuroscience, uh, specifically evolutionary neuroscience, as I like to call it. Uh, we're visual creatures. We don't realize it, but uh, our so first and foremost, we have to think like what kinds of things would provide a survival advantage to a Homo sapiens wandering the Serengeti for the last one and a half million years. Well, it turns out smell and taste super important. If you remember what rancid food tastes like. That's a pretty huge survival advantage. Uh, if you remember, you know, certain different bitter tastes are poison. That's a pretty big survival advantage. But the next most memorable things are location and visual. So do I remember the markings on the faces of the friendly tribe versus the not friendly tribe? Do you know we can identify someone else's face in about 150 milliseconds? Now, why, why would we develop that? Why is that so important? Because if you take two seconds to identify if I'm a friend or foe and I take 150 milliseconds, which one of us is going to survive the oncoming battle? So we remember faces. We remember visual information, the exact shade of the berries that are poisonous, the exact color of the snake that's edible versus the one that's probably going to kill me. We also remember locations. If you forget where the watering hole is and you're wandering the Serengeti, you're dead. If you forget where you buried your winter food supply, you're dead. And so our brains hold this information. And if anyone doesn't believe me and they say, well, I'm not a visual learner. I'm a, you know, auditory. Yeah. But, but with this much work, just a tiny, tiny bit of work, I can reveal to you that in fact, you are a visual spatial learner, just like every other homo sapiens. And the test I always like to give people is I want you to imagine your childhood home, even if your parents sold that home 20 years ago. And I want you to go into your parents' bedroom. And I want you, even if you never spent, you know, you were one of those kids who was not allowed in mom and dad's room. I want you to go to your mother's side of the bed. I want you to tell me what was on the nightstand. And that you may not have been in that house for 20 years. And I can tell you. I can do that. Exactly. And most people are like, oh, it was a red telephone. And I can say, was it a touch tone or was it not? And the funny thing is, you cannot just do that for highly significant places. But if I ask you about the last hotel you stayed in and I ask you what side of the shower was the shampoo on, you might just know. And that's something that you haven't even reviewed. So we do this uh, naturally. And so where a lot of, to come back to your question in kind of long form, where a lot of people go wrong is they read the words on a book. They hear them as if they were a conversation. Now I want you to ask yourself, I just said something moderately interesting about hotel shower soap. But could you play back the exact words that I said? No. Could you go back to that visualization if you stop to think about that hotel? Or could you go back to that image of what's on your mother's nightstand? Of course. And so the words themselves are throwaway, but the meanings and the visualizations are very much relevant. And that's essentially the the crux of the technique. If you want to retain what you read, you need to turn it into highly visual, highly imaginative imagery. And that's it. I mean, I can definitely 
tell you almost none of the words in Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, but I can paint a picture for you of him running through the street with a wheelbarrow three to four times a week with the same, or three to four times a day with the same bundle of paper so that people would think that he was selling more newspapers. And I can tell you, you know, the image that I have for this junta and I can tell you the image that I have for him getting caught borrowing quote unquote books uh, and why he brought the concept of the public library to life. And is this because you are a visual person and you're kind of imagining what it looks like as you're reading? I mean, are you reading the book and then think and then creating that image in your mind? Yes. Or are we you are kind all of, visual people? But or, or just to finish that, are you mm. are you reading a are you I'm trying to think of the mechanics of how this works? Are you actually reading something in the book, thinking, right? I want to I want to remember this point. It's pausing and then creating. Yes. And then working on that imagery such that you can remember it. Is that what you're doing? So that's what we teach, uh, is that you create kind of micro pauses when you're flipping a page, try to remember pertinent details. And then at the end of the chapter, you need to go back, you know, as you're flipping through those blank pages and review and play back these images and string them together, create a structure. The truth is, is that over time, and I can't guarantee that this happens to everybody. It certain, certainly happened to me. Over time, it just kind of happens. And as I'm reading, the images are just kind of cropping up for me. Uh, again, I can't promise that that happens. So the way that we teach it is take a pause. Anyway, when you when you speed read is extraordinarily exhausting. And most people, though they could theoretically read a book in two and a half, three hours, uh, you got to take breaks. And so during those breaks, you get up, you have a glass of water, you start playing back these images. Uh, and even if you want to have archival kind of an index knowledge, you can put them into a memory palace. Although I don't, personally do that i don't think you need to be able to play back in order the points in you know a malcolm gladwell book it's it, you know what it's absolutely fascinating um i've got to having a bit of an, a, an epiphany as i'm listening to you talking because um let's see if i can get these thoughts properly structured the process you've just described of learning something new in a book taking note of it putting your attention on it Carrying on and then coming back to review it later. Mm -hmm. Regular listeners of the podcast will know that this is exactly the way that Bingo. language vocabulary is acquired. Bingo. It's, a, it's, it's a combination of attention and revision. Mm -hmm. um, uh, revision in the sense of reviewing. Sometimes Space like, repetition. Revision is like, I don't know, this is an English word, but I think in, the, in America people understand revision to mean changing something. But anyway, I mean reviewing it as in going back to it. So we've got a combination of putting your attention on stuff and then going back and reviewing it later so that your mind can have another opportunity to better structure it in your head, right? And so I'm right. seeing all kinds of parallels here, but what I hadn't seen up until this point, I hadn't seen those parallels. So I hadn't really considered the fact that information, you know, in exactly the same way as a new word in a foreign language makes perfect sense to you when you just learnt it but then it disappears 30 seconds later sure. um, or the next day when you need it in a conversation. Sure. I hadn't really considered the fact that information that you read in a book is actually behaves in exactly the same way. When you're Precisely. reading it, you think, oh man, this is so cool. I didn't know that about Benjamin Franklin. Um, but then you don't, you don't pause, you don't have the kind of awareness to, to think, you know what, if I need to remember this tomorrow, I'm not going to be able to do it. Precisely. Well, I mean, 
our brain has two dedicated centers called the hippocampi, one in the left hemisphere, one in the right hemisphere. And their job is to forget. They're particularly active during sleep, which is why if we don't sleep, we become a mess. Uh, but the brain is a forgetting machine, and it needs to be because it already consumes 20% of our energy and resources and oxygen, uh, despite being 2% of the body's mass. So it needs to forget to make it as efficient as it is. I mean, we pay a lot of prices and a lot of costs for having this massive brain. The entire reason that we stand up and walk the way that we do is to protect this massive mound of fat, uh, which is by far the most sophisticated supercomputer known to man. Uh, but there are ways to game the hippocampi. If we learn the rules that they abide by, so for example, they prioritize visual information, they prioritize anything that's connected, right? So if you can learn to falsify these connections, and this is the other really big tip to accelerated learning, too many people treat new information as in fact new. And they go, okay, all right, here we go. Let me stretch out. Don't know how to play a musical instrument, so everything that I learn about this piano is completely new and foreign to me. And what does that tell the hippocampus? It says, this is completely irrelevant knowledge. It has no connection to anything that I'll ever learn or will ever need to learn. And so basically, they, uh, shall we dance in Norwegian? And they tell you. And you say to yourself, this is the only thing I've ever learned in Norwegian. And your brain goes, this is the only thing we know about Norwegian. This must be pretty damn useless and throws it out the window. But if you were to say to yourself, okay, this is how this is related to this information. This is how I'm going to use this information. You can say this sounds like English, except for instead of shall, we say skol and connect it to visual imagery, maybe a tin can of a skull chewing tobacco. You create this imagery and tell the brain, hey, this is relevant. This is related. This is interesting, new, and novel. And then by going back and doing that repetition, as you, as you so correctly said, we're telling the brain, hey, I just learned this yesterday, but I've already reviewed it once. It must be pretty important. This information keeps coming up. Because your brain doesn't know when you relearn something that it's coming out of uh, an index card or if it's being used in the real world, right? It has no idea. It just says, this phrase, skolvidance, has come up twice in the last two days. That's interesting. It must be significant. And so there are all these different ways, and that, that's basically all we do is, is we trick the brain into determining that things are important. Do you think people were more efficient learners 100 years ago before radio, TV, or internet? Well, so I think about that a lot. You know, 100 years ago, you would get a book, most likely the Bible, because you know the the printing press wasn't what it is today in terms of low cost. People were actually physically printing books. So there was a high cost associated with books. Literacy rates were not as high. So if you got a book in your hot little hands, you would read that book over and over and over again and be able to cite passages from it. I mean, even in Benjamin Franklin's day, he set up you know the first public library in North America and everything. But how many books do you think he really read in his lifetime? Whereas today we have, I believe in the US, there's 300,000 new books published each year. In China, I believe it's twice that. It, that we're just, we're completely bombarded with information. So we go wide instead of deep. Yeah. So it's, it's almost really hard to compare. But then you have these guys like 
uh, Thomas Jefferson, like Benjamin Franklin, who were very sophisticated uh, in many, many, I mean, true polymaths. And you say to yourself, well, you know, would we all be like that if we weren't distracted by consuming so much hmm. bullshit content, frankly? Um, Jonathan, you, you've studied, uh, is it four languages, five languages? Studied four, yeah. How do the techniques that you've learned, that you've been, we've been talking about here, how have those techniques helped you with language learning? Yeah, great question. So it, as you said, for learning vocabulary, these techniques are a game changer. I mean, there's, there's no word too difficult. There's no sound too confusing because I can string words and sounds together and, and put them into a nice little memory palace with a visual mnemonic. And I almost don't think of vocabulary learning as at all a hurdle anymore. It's just straight into the brain. And I actually made the mistake. It's, you know, when, when you're a hammer, every problem is a nail, as they say. So when I started to learn Russian, I was like, all right, 1200 most common Russian words, download them into my flashcard software, create visual images and boom, there we go. And I found myself, I, I got to about 800 words within a month or two. And then I found my, the grammar proved to be way more difficult. And I realized that these words are useless in Russian because if you don't add, it's not like in English where you, you know, if you say me want eat, people will understand you in Russian. They'll go, who wants to eat? Hmm. And, uh, what you know, what I eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and basically in Russian, if you don't know how to declense the word, not just conjugate, but declense, it loses its meaning. You could be working on the computer or the computer could be working on you and you have no kind of way of knowing that. So I've only recently adapted these techniques to learning grammar and I've kind of figured out a really bizarro way to to hack the Russian grammatical system. Uh, but at, at the very least, vocabulary has become kind of a non-issue for me. So what's the super learner approach to a problem like grammar, which doesn't require, which is not just a case of memorizing specific units of information like vocabulary right is mm -hmm. is like do you approach grammar the same way that you'd approach a a book on chocolate making is it just like how, how do you approach that well, how do you how do you so, how do you see the problem yeah or the challenge so or the opportunity what i or, see it as is a list of rules and this is maybe not the right way but this is kind of how my mind thinks it's a list of rules right so Let's take, for example, in English, uh, if it's singular, then the verb becomes pluralized, right? So he wants, he goes, she wants, she goes, uh, you want, you go. That's very strange. But let's go ahead and, and say they want, he wants. I need to figure out a way to create that linkage, get those neurons to link together for something that is a bit weird and strange. Why isn't it he want? In other languages, I mean, in Hebrew, it's he want, they wants. It, it makes more sense, right? Intuitively. Why, why is that? So what I would do is create a visual image to say, for example, uh, grammar is hard and you should never have to go it alone. And so I would create this image of this person singularly going he is going he goes but he needs to bring two goes with him so maybe it's two arrows because he shouldn't have to face this grammatical challenge alone whereas if they go 
they don't need to bring multiple verbs with them because they're together facing this challenge of grammar. And so I would just remember that it takes three people or more to tackle some grammar. Right. And I mean, I just made this up completely on the spot, but I have this visualization of going up against a wall of grammar. And that way I remember it. And then if it's you, well, I say you. So therefore it's you and I, because I'm kind of the observer, the second person. So we will go and face it together. So we can use go instead of you goes. And that's just kind of one example where I would say to myself, this is how you conjugate. And it's basically, it's creating BS meaning so that I can tell the brain this is how it all links together, yeah. and then I form a visualization. Well, I guess the mnemonics are you you, you would yeah. call mnemonics BS meaning as well, right? I mean, it's just totally. it's just a scaffold or a bridge to get you to the point where your your brain can make sense of it enough to retain it, and then that gives you a path back in later when you need to get back. To totally, it. totally. It's uh wow. I mean, the, the my mind is kind of spinning at the opportunities, um, <laughs> mostly for things that I could learn. You know, mm-hmm. not just for, um, um, it's not only very, very intriguing, the opportunities for language learning, um, but also, I don't know, I, I feel like all these, when I think about, you know, earlier I mentioned the silly things like chocolate making and uh, mm-hmm. children's book illustrated, things that I just do for fun, things that, totally. that and I've been putting them off for years because um, it's just one more thing, right? I, it's just stuff that I could do for fun just gets pushed down the list for me and it's um it's really made me think well you know if i can learn some of these skills um totally quickly and i don't ha- it doesn't have to be something that i just a, a two-year undertaking you know when i start a new language i consider it to be a multi-year undertaking but learning to make nice chocolate i could probably learn fairly simple and it's a question of remembering the steps remembering the baking temperatures and all those things right so i'm super inspired man i'm um i'm <laughs> i'm feeling good and i uh i awesome i'm, I'm yeah what can I say? Um, you run the Super Learner Academy. This is I do. your. This is your. This is where you teach. This is where you do your work. Correct. And this is where you teach the accelerated learning skills that we've been talking about today. Mm-hmm. Tell mm-hmm. us about the. Tell us about that. What? 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 Who should get? Yeah. Who should consider it? What's involved? What do you learn? So about a year and and some change ago we decided that we wanted to create the absolute finest accelerated learning program that money could buy and the result was something that we call the super learner masterclass so it's a 10 week comprehensive program you can go through it faster you can go through it slower but paced out at about 30 minutes a day four to five times a week it is about 10 weeks and a lot of that 30 minutes is, hey, you're going to read your emails, you're going to read the newspaper, do it in this specific way. So it's not all watching videos and stuff like that. I don't expect anyone to watch that many videos of me. But um, essentially what it is, is it starts with a very strong uh, core understanding in memory and mnemonic techniques. So all these things that I told you about, how to memorize information, numbers, names, how to store your information long term, how to review it, or as you said, uh, revise it in a way that is going to allow you to remember it forever because no amount of mnemonic technique is going to put it in your brain forever. So you have to kind of be intelligent about the intervals in which you review and how you review. And then it goes into speed reading. So it's about 70% memory, 30% speed reading. Once you have that infrastructure, you can then go on and learn anything. And most of what you're going to want to learn is, of course, in books. Although we do talk a little bit about, you know, how do I take on a challenge like Olympic weightlifting? 
for example, which it cannot really be learned in books. Uh, and how do you take on a challenge like acro yoga, which definitely cannot be learned in books. And uh, that's it. It's essentially a, a comprehensive program. And of course, we offer a free trial if people want to check it out, uh, where they can sign up, no credit card required, and do the first entire module of the course. So diagnose their reading, diagnose their memory, start to understand some of the core fundamentals, download all the worksheets, set their goals, set their progress, understand exactly what the hell I'm talking about <laughs> throughout the course and really set themselves up. And then uh, if they want to, they can always upgrade and unlock the other, I believe it's eight more modules or nine more modules. That's great. So you can def you can take the time to get a feel for it. And certainly we know what struck yeah. me when I went through the course um, was the, the quality of the production as well. I mean, you must, you must, oh. have, you <laughs> must have really put your heart and soul into, into creating this. I mean, the quality is, I, I've never seen anything like it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, as you can see, if people are watching the uh, video, I really believe in super high quality. In fact, we've we've now invested in a studio of our own, this studio that I'm in now. And I look back on those videos and I'm like, ah, oh, we got to clean up the audio. We got to do this because we're always trying to push the bar. And, it, you know, if I can get to a point where it's as close to being in the room with me in terms of quality, that takes that whole distraction of echo in the room or you know blurry camera out of the way and allows the student to really focus in on the content. So I almost wanted to. It's like um, you know if if a car is smooth enough, you almost forget like you're you're riding on a bumpy road, and that's what I want yeah. people to experience. So wonderful. Well, listen, it's been such a pleasure to talk um, to you today. Pleasure is all mine. I learn a lot as always. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, where where can they do so? Yeah, so uh, they can check my personal website at jle.vi. They can check out my podcast at becomingasuperhuman.com. We've had such illustrious guests as Mr. Ollie Richard on this show. <laughs> that was, and, a, that uh, was a fun episode. That was a good chat. That was really fun. People really enjoyed it as well. Thanks very much, and uh, I look forward to to the next time, and uh, we'll talk very All soon. All right, my friend. Take care. Okay, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I had so many ideas for things I want to learn. I just kind of <laughs> don't even know where to start. But of course, the best place to start is with Jonathan's SuperLearn Academy, which is really something. And there's a free trial available currently. If you'd like to get the free trial, you can go to IWillTeachYouAlanguage.com forward slash super. That's IWillTeachYouAlanguage.com forward slash super. And um, it's a beautiful website with a absolutely stunning quality of material so i really hope you enjoy that um it is a paid course but obviously with a free trial you can you can check it out and um, you can actually learn quite a lot during the free trial period itself so i definitely recommend you sign up for that sign up for the free course and just think about how the stuff that he talks about can apply not only to your language learning because it does apply to language learning but also to things that you want to learn and improve in your life because there's really so much i think i've been guilty in the past of focusing a bit too much on language learning at the expense of other things that would bring me fulfillment and happiness as well. So once again, I will teach you a language.com forward slash super for that. If you'd like to see a full transcript of our conversation or get links to other things that we've mentioned in the episode, then everything is available in the show notes and you can find the show notes at I will teach you a language.com forward slash episode one six. Nine. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you back in the next episode of the podcast.